If you would, please open up with me now in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. We have made it out of chapter 20. If you recall, we only spent one Sunday there. <laughs> we'll spend a few more Sundays in chapter 21. Never fear. Uh, there are not uh, uh, 40 plus verses, but only one through seven. And as you're opening up to 1 Kings 21, perhaps you might guess what I might ask you. What do you desire? What is it? We all have something. And so don't lie to yourself. Don't maybe think you say, well, I desire uh, just to know the Lord a bit more. I believe you. You do desire that, I'm certain, dear Christian. But that's not my question. What is it that you desire? What is it? I can't answer that one. It's in the dark and deep recesses of your own sinful heart. I can answer it for myself. I have those things just like you do. What do you desire? And now, what are the effects of that desire on others and on you? Did you know that there are effects on others and on you from those deep, dark desires in your own heart? You might think you have them hidden. You might not think that they have borne any fruit, but there are effects. They are affecting people close to you right now. They are affecting you right now. I can guarantee it. It's not Jeremiah's knowledge. It's God's knowledge that tells me such. We confessed it, and now we see it play itself out through a little grape farmer and a sinful and terrible king. But, if you might not realize this yet, we are all sinful, terrible kings. We wish we were little grape farmers. But perhaps, dear Christian, with me, you might look and see yourself in these verses that I read. This is 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1-7. through 7. Before I read, before I pray, this is the main point. God has given an eternal inheritance to his people through Jesus Christ. God has given an eternal inheritance to his people through Jesus Christ. Let's pray before we read the word. Oh God, we pray because this word is your words, not my word, not our word, not the word of the world, but God's word to us, your people. And so, Lord, may we humble ourselves before what it is that you have to say to us. Lord, uh, at times we can be confused. A great farmer and a king so many thousands of years ago? What? But that's not it. Lord, you have given it to us for our good and for your glory. And so may we see it. May we see it today. And may we glorify you all the more as we see the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is 1 Kings 21, starting with verse 1. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I'll give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. 
And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite. And he said and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God, it stands, it remains forever. Even this word about Naboth, the Jezreelite, we might be thinking to ourselves, what? But there is immense truth to be found here. In fact, the truth that God has given an eternal inheritance to his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. Two points this morning. God gives the inheritance and God governs the inheritance that he gives. First, God gives the inheritance. And we see this in verses 1 through 3 of our text. Let's get right to it. One of the basic tenets of the gospel is that God the Father has adopted as sons and daughters those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This theologically and unsurprisingly is called adoption. We see it play itself out even in our day and age as people are adopted and they take on the last name and all of these different things. We see this and we get it, but on the grand scale, God does it to us who are believing in the Lord Jesus, we are adopted. And it is judicial and familial. It's judicial in the sense that we are really a part of the family of God. It is like we receive God's last name. You know, you are adopted, and to make it formal, what do you do? Get the last name, right? That's very traditional uh, in our country, or at least it was. It's, uh, it's uh, changing a little bit, but you see that here. Judicial. There is a formal identity to this adoption that is signed and sealed, not by the government, but by the Holy Spirit in God the Father's case. It's alongside of the judicial nature, also familial though, because God is not a far off God, only judging, right? God is a family God, God the Father right? He's adopting us as sons and daughters, not as just uh, citizens of the state or something like that. And so it's familial in the sense that we're really a part of God's family. Alongside the last name is an actual part of the inheritance. In other words, this formal identity is not lip service, but real, deep, unbreakable family ties. And this is true of all of God's people, including Naboth, the Jezreelite. The setup for us today is quite simple. Naboth had a piece of land beside the palace. Might look like, well, okay, here's a castle and here's my, here's my vineyard. You know, it, it probably wasn't exactly like that, but it's a good visual for us. There's the castle, the shadow. I wish my grapes weren't in the shadow of the castle because they're not growing so good or something like that. We could kind of feel that way. And King Ahab, he's he wants that piece of land because it's right next to the castle and he wants to grow some corn or something else. He wants a vegetable garden, a royal vegetable garden. 
Ahab, as you see, is even willing to pay above the asking price or giving them up, uh, give them an upgrade. You know, listen, uh, you have 10 acres here. I'll give you 35 if you just move down the road a little bit, right? He tries to give them a good deal. It's not like Naboth is coming. I mean, Ahab is coming in uh, seeking to uh, uh, just steal it from him or something else of that nature. And we'll see why in just a moment. Uh, Naboth says no, though. No. Not yours. No. And that is very important. Naboth says no because Ahab was offering a worldly exchange for something heavenly. Let me say it again. This is a worldly exchange. I'll give you some money for it. I'll give you a bigger piece of land. That's not it. This is not a worldly exchange. It's a heavenly one. Verse 3 of our text. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Built into the inheritance of Naboth's fathers was a blessing from God. Years ago, God had promised his people a tangible representation of the heavenly place, and it was the land of milk and honey. The land that the people of God went in to possess as a gift from God. If you recall, they came out of Egypt, right? The Exodus. Where were they exodusing from? Egypt. Where were they going to? The promised land, right? They had a long journey in between, albeit 40 years because of some of their sin. That's a different story. But they get there and they get the land, the promised land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, the land that the people of God went in to possess as a gift from God, as a lasting inheritance, one representing the God who goes before them, who stays with them, who fights for them, who preserves them, who keeps them, and who literally gave every single family a representation of those things in a piece of land. Every single person in the people of God had a piece of land representative of the gift of God. Every single person. And even if the son were to die, because land inheritance went through the male line at that time, whether you like that or not, just pause for a moment. Because even then, if all the males die, it goes through the women. Which if you were to look at this day and age, is quite liberal, I might say. God didn't care about male or female when it came to his inheritance. He cared about the inheritance of his sons and his daughters. Every single person would have some land. That was the revelation of salvation at the time. And so, when Ahab asks for Naboth's land, it's as if he's asking for Naboth's family heritage, his own salvation. Think about something for us. Let's personalize it. Think about something that God has given you that's more than monetary. It's something that carries with it intense spiritual representation or testimony. For Rebecca and myself, a good example of this, uh, it's not going to make no sense to y'all, and it shouldn't. It's memories preserved in just a few pictures and documents in a little blue bank bag gathering dust in our closet. 
That's it for us, a spiritual heritage, a thing that represents one of the defining moments in our life together, one of the moments where God and God only could bring us through, could help us, and could give us hope, and we would never part with them. No extra 35 acres, no sum of money would we part with the little blue bank bag, and Ahab is asking that from you in verse 3. That's what it is for Naboth. It's not just a land transaction where he says, oh yeah, you know, I've had this land for a little while, but I'd be willing to pay, you know, if you do 150% on this, I'll take it. You know, it's not like that. It's a spiritual heritage. It's that thing in your own lives. You say, oh no, that's not for sale. Are you crazy? Verse 3, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. God gives an eternal inheritance to his people. He reveals it through the land with Naboth and other followers of God in this time. He reveals it through other tangible things in our time. But it points us to the massive spiritual reality that we have a heavenly inheritance. It's like the Apostle Peter says, I know uh, many of our women are studying First Peter right now. I think y'all have already covered this Bible verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. For you, that's the good news. That's the gospel that's offered by God. It's there for the taking for us who could hear. The inheritance is represented on earth in many ways, but it's kept in heaven for you through the salvation offered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our very second point. It's that kept moment, right? It's kept in heaven for you. Not only does God give the inheritance, he also governs the inheritance, verses 4 through 7. This is the second time that we see Ahab's vexation and sullenness as he looks away from God. We saw it before. He disobeyed God when he made a political deal, and he walked away vexed and sullen. And here we go again. Ahab walks away vexed and sullen. And it should not come as a surprise. As we see, it's because of his disobedience to God. His disobedience, lack of knowledge and wisdom, inappropriate machinations and blasphemous bedfellows lead him into a miserable life. One that's filled with discontentment, conflict, and no joy. It seems like everywhere he goes, even to the poor grape farmer, he's not getting what he wants. It's killing him on the inside and driving him nuts. Verse 4 of our text. Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said to him. For he had said, I'll not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, would eat no food. His pouting disposition. That whining, childish demeanor. Right there should lead us to believe that he has forsaken the revelation of God, the inheritance of his own people, the land. No Israelite worth his salt, versed in the word of God, 
would ever ask for the land of a fellow Israelite because they know the heritage themselves. I would never ask for your blue bank bag. I've got my own blue bank bag. Why would I ask for yours? I know the feeling of that. I know the meaning, the depth, the soul, the riches, the imperishable nature of the reality of the ask. I would never do that. I would never ask for your salvation. But he does. And then he pouts about it when he doesn't get the right answer or the one that he thinks is right. Built into the law of God were hyper-strict regulations for the leasing of the land. That is, the exchanging of money for a piece of land for a certain amount of time. But God, with explicitness, required land to come back into the hands of the inheritors of it. Because God was revealing salvation through the land. Uh, the year of Jubilee. If you're unfamiliar with that term, Google it. Google it later. It's the year of Jubilee Bible. And check it out. It is remarkable and amazing, especially when you take this into account. The year of Jubilee, Google it with the Bible. It is a beautiful part of the scriptures that we sometimes skip over because we say, oh, law, yuck, right? The law, yucky. But no, it reveals God and his good character, and you see it quite naturally within the year of Jubilee. But Nevertheless, because Ahab's eyes were so firmly planted on this world, he simply could not see the heavenly picture. And even worse, even worse than this, Jezebel enters the scene. Where Ahab couldn't see, where Ahab had forgotten or ignored God and his commands, Jezebel sees and Jezebel deceives. Jezebel remembers and goes against. She recognizes and actively plots against God and his people. So, with the ploy of comfort and care, she deceives and destroys once again. Verses 5 and verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? Verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. A pastor, scholar, commentator, all-around wonderful follower of God by the name of Dale Ralph Davis has a commentary on 1 Kings. And he writes a wonderful paraphrase of Jezebel's words. Let me quote them to you. Ahab, are you a king or a wimp? No local yokel grape picker is going to stand in the way of this regime. Your problem, Ahab, is that you still think of a king as subject to the law. You must get it through your head that what the king wants is the law. That's the intent. That's what Jezebel's saying in no less words. But Jezebel makes a fatal mistake. She equates monarchy, leadership, with divinity, power, when monarchy, in this case the king, is really meant to reveal the Lord, the power, and the work, the gospel. This happens throughout history. Here is one example, an uh, illustration that I've heard and that I keep hearing, perhaps for this very moment. Jean Baptiste Massillon was court chaplain to King Louis XIV in the late 1600s into the early 1700s. King Louis, he was rich, powerful, and the long-standing king of France for over 70 years with a strong knack 
for the extravagant. He was known as the sun king, like the bright shining sun. His extravagance was so large. It was like every uh, movie that you've ever seen where the court comes in and you've got the colors and the trumpets and they're walking in with frills and pomp and show and magnitude. The sun king, King Louis XIV. I've reigned for seven decades. Here I stand. And so, with all of that extravagance, he's nearing death. And he plans his own funeral. And his own funeral is just as extravagant. A casket made of pure gold is to be within the cathedral. He's telling this to Jean-Baptiste Massillon. This pure gold casket is to have one candle over it. No other lights in the entire cathedral are to be on. That way, everyone who comes in will be in the dark until they see the light of my final moment. The one light in the room will be mine, that all may gaze upon me. And Jean-Baptiste Massillon, he said, okay, I can do that. Good pastor, I'll do that for you. And he remains a good pastor because upon King Louis' death, as that golden casket stood, as the lights were all darkened and one candle remained, the first thing that Jean-Baptiste Massillon did was lick his two fingers, reach over, and put that fire out. And in the dark, he proclaimed these words. Only God is great. Only God. No man. No man. Only God is great. Philippians chapter 2, we read them in confession of our faith. You saw them speaking of Jesus. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Jezebel asked a key question of Ahab. Do you now govern Israel? She's saying, are you the king or not? That's what she asked him. The answer is no. No, Ahab. You're not the king. You are not the one who governs Israel. God is the one who governs Israel. God is the one who governs his people. God is the one who governs their inheritance. The very thing you're trying to snatch from the people. We stop in the middle. There is more to come. Through a sickly negative example, though, we see a bright positive reality. If you know the rest of the narrative, death, destruction, it's coming. But Naboth keeps his eternal inheritance, that which God was revealing in this worldly place, because God is very jealous to keep his people and to keep their inheritance, one that cannot fade, one that is kept in heaven. Now, very quickly, four brief applications. Verse 1, Ahab the king and Naboth the farmer, they were next door neighbors. If you're looking for equality in this world, something that very many people are doing, look around, look on the news, look outside, 
Talk to your neighbor and see what they're looking for. One of the things is equality. If you're looking for equality in this world, look to God because he is the one that reveals that all of humanity are in need of him for their salvation. Do not think yourself entitled to that which belongs to your neighbors. Pride comes before the fall. Naboth, Ahab, next door neighbors. God, ruler above all of them. Beware. Verses 2 and 3. Money and possessions are never equal to God and salvation. Do you believe that? Let me say it again. Money and possessions are not and never will be equal to God and salvation. Do you believe that? And if you say yes, does your life show it? Verses 4 through 6. Have you ever considered that your joylessness, your discontent, your frustration, your sullenness, your vexation, your conflict with those that are around you, have you ever considered that that is self-inflicted? Sometimes they're not. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes they are. There is a huge blind spot in your life if you aren't self-reflecting on yourself and on your sin, seeking to see how God might inform you on any given matter. Verse 7, Jezebel is going to get the job done at the cost of extreme and blatant disobedience to God and his command. How often do you get the job done at the cost of extreme and blatant disobedience to God and his command? Whether it's work or play, family or friends, where in life is it easier for you to ignore God's call and go with the flow? Get the job done. Where is it easier to ask for forgiveness later? Beware. Beware. God has given an eternal inheritance to his people through Jesus Christ. Is this where your hope is? Does this inform your life? Who do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see Naboth or do you see Ahab? Or worse, do you see Jezebel? The prayer for us, no matter where we are and no matter who we see in that mirror, the prayer for us is that we would see the Lord Jesus who snatches all of those things away from us and says, come and follow me. I know you're a sinner. That's why I came. Wherever you stand, I am here. Will you follow after me? May we see Jesus. May we believe in him. May we be a people informed by him. And may we not only say that, may we do that. We've got to do it. We've got to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this word. A word that we might skip over, but a word that holds the depths of the riches of your mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we always remember Naboth and his commitment to the heritage that you had given him. May we be convicted of our own sin because we are so easy to give up that heritage. But Lord, may we be like Naboth, that come what may, we will hold to the inheritance of our fathers. Lord, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.